is forgiven in Atlanta. Welcome to Atlanta. We love the idea of family worship. Where can I go from your spirit? It's in our DNA. Well said. Welcome to the Very Good Podcast from Atlanta Westside. My name is Corey Fleeman. I am the Director of Communications for Atlanta Westside Presbyterian Church. If you're listening, you're already aware that we've launched a podcast and this is our maiden voyage. Our goal is to give you, dear listener, relevant content to help you think, ponder, converse, uh, you name it. Ultimately, however, we hope that our podcast glorifies God and brings you closer to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our episodes feature different hosts and different guests, so I am here to serve as a guide for each episode, a bit of a podcast master of ceremonies. To kick us off, Atlanta Westside member Julia Reynolds sat down with Senior Pastor Walter Henniger and his wife and our Director of Discipleship, Ann Henniger, to talk about the culture of Atlanta Westside. They also dive into Westside's founding, like what shapes our beliefs and culture, and they talk about some of the church's growing pains from these past few years. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Julia, and I've been going to Westside for about five years now with my husband, Matthew, and we have two girls, Ruby and Annie, who are ages three and one, and I'm involved in the church. I'm also uh, serving on Sunday mornings in the children's ministry, where I work in the nursery. I'm Ann Henniker, and I've been with uh, Westside since it began, and I am now on staff with Director of Discipleship, but have been working with the church since 2009 in various roles. And we have two daughters, Abigail, who's 22, and Emily, who's 19. I'm Walter, and I am Ann's husband, also the senior pastor of the church, uh, which we started together with a group of friends. And... That's about it about me. And we wanted to talk about the culture of Atlanta West Side and, and what it's like to come here, what the feel is and what the essence is. How would you all describe the overall vibe or essence of the church? This is going to take some work to try to put words around it. There, some of the words we could use uh, are, are so common that they, they might seem a little cliched, like real or authentic, right? Uh, a, a word that's come up a lot over the years is, uh, is messy. There's a certain, mm-hmm. <laughs> certain mess to the way we do church, um, a little sometimes bordering on chaos that's uh, characteristic of who we are. Uh, what are some words you would use, Anne? Playful chaos. <laughs> Playful chaos. Energy. Yeah. Deep is another common word I hear. Mm-hmm. Um, imperfect inviting kind of the humanness of people and not just a show. We're a church that's definitely looking outward to the the culture and the broader world and trying to understand the world we live in, but we're also looking inward and trying to understand the landscape of our own lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd add gospel centered in that way mm-hmm. because understanding the landscape of your heart, you've got to understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gospel and how it applies to your life. And Vulnerable comes to mind Mm. um, that when you are understanding more of the gospel in your life, you are able to extend yourself. You don't have something to prove because it's already been proven. So I think there's that letting people in to see you. And we know what it's like when you go to a church or or any kind of organization and you enter small talk. How are you? I'm fine. But why do you all think it's important to highlight that we're real and we're messy and that it's a vulnerable place here? Well, as Anne mentioned, the the gospel, the the good news that's at the heart of the the message of the Christian faith starts with the assumption that we've got a massive problem and that it's not only this problem of being alienated from God, that we need to be reconciled to God through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, but that we're still being renewed and transformed in this life. And so the moment we have any kind of way of operating with other people that sort of puts a veneer over our, our personality or, or pretends that everything is just fine. It steers us further and further away from that truth of the gospel. Yeah. I'd also say that 
like you were saying, like say you're meeting somebody in church, like it's a relationship with mm-hmm. each other that is not just the awareness of our brokenness, but we have to see each other as they are as well as knowing our own brokenness. So mm-hmm. it's not like we're looking at for faults in each other, but we know it's there. And so once we can drop our masks and be seen, it allows the other person to want to meet us in kind, I think. What was your experience with other churches like before starting West Side? How did you want West Side to be similar or different? Well, Anna and I both grew up in uh, a couple hours apart in sort of traditional downtown, old school Presbyterian churches. They were both the first Presbyterian churches. And so... Complete with the cemetery. Yes, cemetery on site, etc. And we we grew up in the church and appreciating church for the people, but there was a, a culture in our, in our childhood of sort of a, a formalism and, a, you know, the most important thing about going to church sometimes felt like wearing the right clothes and not making the wrong kind of noise or waves. Right. And, and so that was, that, that was probably formative for us in a, in a negative way to start with. You have yeah, something being shushed when you cough or whatever. <laughs> yes. Right. Or, or I remember in, in high school staying up late to watch Saturday night live and having trouble staying awake in church and trying to perfect falling asleep without my head falling <laughs> over. But uh, so so we had experiences like that growing up. Uh, both of us in, in college ended up exploring different churches and really our, our faith was becoming more and more alive in college. But both of us, I think, bouncing around a fair amount in college, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I attended a church, but I never joined one. But the one that I did attend was more relaxed and inviting mm-hmm. than the one I'd grown up in. But... Mm-hmm. I didn't really see the depth of it because I kind of stayed on the outskirts as a college student. But yeah. It drew me in, mm-hmm. though. Well, and when we got out of college before and after we got married, we were part of a church in Nashville, actually out south of Nashville, Franklin, Tennessee, called Christ Community Church. And that was a really formative experience for us in, in our mm-hmm. new dating relationship, new marriage, new parenthood. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very large church. It had grown very fast and it had a lot of like a lot of the sort of contemporary Christian music stars of the day were going to this church like Stephen Curtis Chapman and Amy Grant and people like that. And so on the one hand, you would think, oh, well, that sounds like a real flashy mm-hmm. kind of place to go. Mm-hmm. And yet the, the tone of that church was was anything but. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and the other thing that drew us in deeply was um, I got a chronic health issue right in the midst of us joining and that there's no pretense with mm. health issues. And so we actually needed the church to care for us. And suddenly we came in broken and mm. they did. And I think that really helped us see the reality of the body of Christ and not just being a church that you just attend. Some people say that Christianity is a is a crutch. And for us, it was a stretcher. We needed yeah. to be fully on um, somebody else's shoulders there. And mm. I think we saw them become the church for us. And the the senior pastor in that church uh, at the time was a guy named Scotty Smith. And Scotty set a tone from up front that was, I think, I mean, one thing that appealed to me at the time, dealing with a lot of my own doubts in the faith was a really, there was a lot of intellectual rigor in the way that he approached the faith. So he was asking a lot of hard questions and thinking very deeply. And so that part of church, I think that church is a place where there should be a lot of freedom to ask hard questions and talk about hard things. Uh, we probably learned that first mm-hmm. from Scotty. I remember, and then even emotionally, Scotty's mentor uh, was a guy named Jack Miller. And in the, in the years when we were attending Christ Community, Jack Miller died. And and Scotty sort of led the, the whole church through this extended season of, of celebrating his life and grieving it. Mm-hmm. And and I, I remember him and his wife up front talking mm-hmm. about him and about Jack Miller in, in mm-hmm. tears. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's another thing that, that was, even though it was a really big church, was, was modeled well for us, mm-hmm. both an intellectual rigor and, a, and an emotional honesty. And there was also somebody in the church that had died in a car accident. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I, the one I remember was, uh, 
it was a, a young mother mm -hmm. with, and maybe a child that had, had been killed by a teenager running a stop sign. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that could be the kind of thing that you would just sort of brush over and have the service and, and hope that people just kind of forgot about it, but that they talked really openly and honestly about, about what that was like. Well, and I think he even said something like, who of us haven't run a stop sign before? And it wasn't just yeah. about putting us in our place, but it just led with that humility mm -hmm. um, so that we could love the family who's you know, had this traumatic accident, but also pray for the, the boy that had done it. So it was that kind of a culture where mm -hmm. we weren't make pretending or just doing church. We were being the church. Mm -hmm. And I and I think about with sonship is something that Jack Miller led and created, I guess. And they were highly influenced by sonship and that permeated all that they did. And that was just, a, a they led with their brokenness because their weakness, mm -hmm. because it made Christ so much bigger. And they had, they really modeled that from Scotty all the way down to the, dis, the Sunday school leaders that we had mm -hmm. over us. Um, they were very open. They let us look at, through their lives as a window to see Jesus um, mm -hmm. and was very transformative for us. This is actually helpful to, to go through and understand our own story. But, mm -hmm. you know, so Scotty had been influenced by Jack Miller at Westminster Seminary, and we were influenced by Scotty. So we mm -hmm. uh, went to Westminster partly because of that. Mm -hmm. And also a guy named mm -hmm. Joe Novenson in Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. And and so we went up to, to Westminster and then we got involved in one of the plants, mm -hmm. church plants that Jack Miller had started. And so that uh, his his famous quote that's been repeated a thousand times by mm -hmm. Tim Keller since is cheer up you're worse than you think uh, but you're more loved than you ever dared imagine mm -hmm. and uh, that's part of that sonship curriculum that sort of mm -hmm. revolves around the the letter of Galatians in the New mm -hmm. Testament that's the sort of rigorous mm -hmm. self-assessment of our mm -hmm. profound deep need for God's grace but then this uh, the abundance of that grace that, mm -hmm. that comes to meet our needs. So mm -hmm. that, that church culture, we, mm -hmm. you know, one downside of Nashville was we, we were living in the city of Nashville and driving down to Franklin for church, which was 25, 30 minutes mm -hmm. on a Sunday. So we were being blessed by so many aspects of the church. And we had a Sunday school class of young married couples around our age that, that was really instrumental in supporting us but we were still one step removed from really the heartbeat of the church and the community. And so when we moved to Philadelphia to go to seminary and became a part of another church, it was, it was, it was a more of a smaller, medium sized church. I don't know, mm -hmm. three, 400 people at the time. And, and we were much more deeply involved there. Well, I was a part of a play group. That was when I was raising our, we were raising our girls uh, when they were little. And so that is a definitely a needy time <laughs> that you're depending on each other. Yeah. But we were all in this, this process of, I think we even took a sonship class together as a community group, small group. And so the men were going through it, we were going through it together. And so that just was the air we were breathing. Mm -hmm. And of course, learning things at seminary, another influence on us at the time was mm -hmm. certainly Westminster, but then CCEF, the biblical counseling. And mm -hmm. so putting those two things together and living it in real time when we were very needy, my health was still a very prominent mm -hmm. part of our lives, debilitating in a lot of ways. So we, we couldn't lead with worldly strength. Yeah. And, and there was something about the, the culture of the city of Philadelphia that was yeah. distinctive too. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, if, if, yeah. If Nashville was kind of a warm Southern hospitality, but with this, um, you know, music industry, a little bit of flash involved there, mm -hmm. Philadelphia was just all salt of the earth, a, a lot Scruffy. more of a scruffier. <laughs> I remember driving down when we were looking at going there for seminary and somebody just spray painted on a building, go home. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I guess yeah. we'll live here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yet it was, it was so life-giving yeah, for us. It was, it was so refreshing that there was just mm -hmm. the, the, the veneer of pretense was, was mm -hmm. one more layer stripped mm -hmm. back. And, and yeah. people in the church, partly because of that culture of sonship, a lot of them having come from Roman Catholic backgrounds or mm -hmm. backgrounds where their entire approach to, to God was one of, of law and guilt and shame. People that had been liberated by the gospel of grace 
were just willing to talk about all kinds of problems they had, you know, in church on Sunday morning behind a microphone. And can you share the one about the guy? That, well, yeah, why don't you share that one? Well, they had just a little testimony time and we went to the second service at 11. So a young guy gets up and he said, you know, I spoke at the 930 and I was really nervous. So I had a lot of people be uh, uh, praying for me and I was really nervous and it went really well. And now before I share my story, I just need y'all to be praying for me because I'm really struggling with pride mm -hmm. that it went so well. We were like, who is this guy? You know, and his story so he didn't say y'all. He said use guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but he I think part of his story was where he had convinced his wife or girlfriend at the time to have an abortion. And it was like really deep things. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just like how he did on the men's retreat that weekend or whatever. It was really mm -hmm. in and of itself, it was vulnerable, but he was even peeling back another layer of how he was even mm -hmm. approaching the microphone. And mm -hmm. it was just shocking to us. Like mm -hmm. how, who does this? Who, who speaks like this publicly or just in their lives? Well, and, and then completing the sort of tour of our formation in churches, we interned at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church in my hometown of Chattanooga during seminary and uh, certainly very influenced by Joe Novenson, the senior pastor there, who I mentioned earlier. Definitely more of a, of a formal worship environment on Sunday mornings, but a very small, tight-knit community where a lot of people had known each other for decades and families that have been connected for generations. So there was a, there was an intimacy there. And when we got out of seminary and we moved here to Atlanta, we, we had f fairly low expectations. Uh, having seen Atlanta from afar, we thought Atlanta, this is the, the place where people are sort of propped up and wealthy and put together, put together and glossy, glossy. And, and, we, you know, and then we, we, we came to serve a church in, Buckhead, which is sort of the epicenter of that in many, many respects. And there were so many things about the culture that we, that were, that were similar. Um, Al Acora, who was the senior pastor at the time, had also been influenced by the, some of the mm -hmm. same people, Jack Miller, mm -hmm. Westminster Seminary and so forth. And there was a, there was a sweet spirit at Christchurch uh, among so many people. And yet we, there were two tensions I remember we felt there. One was that the the sort of the pressure to look like you had it all together was just stronger here and uh and so that refreshing gut level honesty that we'd experienced in philadelphia where we we realized oh that's rare mm -hmm. that's hard to hard to build in atlanta and buckhead in particular the other thing i remember was just we were so spread out across the metro area geographically that it was just, it was really hard to be deeply involved in other people's lives without hiring a staff person to schedule you mm -hmm. to get in the same room on the same day. Yes. Or like if there was a new mom, I would, you know, we're making meals for her and the family it would be like, well, can you pick up your meal on Sunday? Cause I'm not going to drive to Lawrenceville mm. yeah. at 4 PM <laughs> any day. Yeah. Right. This day. <laughs> right. So it yeah. just broke down community in a way. And, and I remember going to visit some of our friends from seminary soon after we had become acclimated here. And they were speaking that language of like from Philadelphia and new life of, I just remember, oh gosh, it's getting fainter. Mm. It just felt like an echo that was mm. dissipating. And mm. I was nervous about that because it felt like that back to the body. I need the body to help me do this. I can't mm. just do this. But if our culture around us isn't doing this, like it's too, it's really hard to be yeah. the lead dog into that kind of environment and create it yourself. Mm. So not that it, nobody, it wasn't like anybody wasn't doing it, right. but it was just not the same culture mm. around us. That's one of the things we've really appreciated. You know, you talk about that transparency and the realness mm -hmm. being mm -hmm. part of the culture. And, you know, when we hear you speak on Sundays, Walter, a lot of the times you just say it as it is. You know, if you're struggling with something or you definitely you'll, you'll say it and you won't paint a perfect picture mm -hmm. of you know, how you're doing. And mm. we love that mm. because we see, oh, Walter is real. And Walter mm. struggles with sin, mm. just like we mm. all do. I think another aspect of that to point out too is that it's it's really, it's sad that it would be novel because I feel like 
that is who Christ was. Like, he, of course, he was divine, but he was so human. And I think when we think about this culture, the first word that maybe we should have said even earlier was it's human. We're human. Like mm-hmm. he, mm-hmm. you, Walter, naming it as it is, because that mm-hmm. is how you are in your body. And mm-hmm. so I think that's why it's received, because we're tapping into that in another person, their humanity. Right. But also their glory self or their version of God likeness in them that is being pulled out too. So it's not just naming the hard and the broken, but right. inspiring to something more too out of that place or the kind of the strength out of that weakness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Regarding the kinds of things that I'll say up front, I know there's a tendency in anyone who stands up front to to be calculated about the, the effect of their own um, self disclosure on other people. And I'm, I'm definitely not immune from that temptation. I I think I can honestly say that talking about my own struggles is, is as much preserving the gospel's impact on my own heart as it is trying to help get it out to other people. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm not honest about how a biblical passage is messing with me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) why would I expect it to affect anybody else? It's, it's not a gimmick in other words, Mm -hmm. like this I feel like the gospel demands that we keep fighting to be rigorously honest about the genuine challenges of 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 believing and doubting of living in a culture that's constantly changing and often hostile to our faith and then our own failures that sabotage us individually and as a culture and if the gospel should be like the the hymn says, far as the curse is found, it mm-hmm. should permeate all those mm-hmm. places. And mm-hmm. I think another, maybe Jack Millerism is preaching the gospel to your own heart. I always ask you that when you're doing mm-hmm. your sermon prep, like how is it affecting you first? Because if it doesn't, then it feels a little bit like the gong or the symbol yeah. versus really affecting you. Mm-hmm. And I think in my role with discipleship, I heard a sermon once on what this speaker called the air war and the ground war and very masculine image but thinking of the preaching as the air war well and it's i guess it's a biblical image with the spiritual warfare that we're in but to have those two things sync up together that a war is never won by one or the other but both together in sync and so all that he's proclaiming on Sunday, I want to see massaged into our culture on the ground and in Mm -hmm. every little nook and cranny that we have here. So I think Mm -hmm. that's been very motivating to do um, that unis, that one voice of, of the gospel permeating us. With so many churches in Atlanta, how did you all decide to plant a church versus serving an existing one? Well, this is a a way of answering that question and one you you asked earlier about things that we wanted to be similar or different a, a big impetus for us in thinking about the culture of the church was, was wanting church to be a place where we could bring our friends who were either self-consciously not believers or had grown up in church and weren't sure where they stood or mm-hmm. bounced around whatever we 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 noticed from our own experience over the years and our own tendencies in church to just develop a lot of jargon and insider talk mm-hmm. and ways of, of being church gathered together that if you just turned on your brain a little bit more in the presence of people from outside of that culture, you'd say, wait a minute, nobody would, how could you understand what the heck is going on here? And so that was a, a big part this mm-hmm. this idea that that all churches and even our church mm-hmm. it almost 12 years in has developed sort of traditions and kind of default ways of doing things that are that are slow to change and so the idea of, of starting a church part of it was well we could have a blank slate and we could try to build an environment that was not so much seeker sensitive, I think was the, the, the big movement starting in the eighties, like from the Willow Creek world, like it wasn't, it wasn't just trying to make it comfortable, but sort of seeker comprehensible, I think was a term we used. Intelligible. Seeker intelligible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, and so we, we wanted to, to try to create and cultivate an awareness among people who are Christians that just because we open the doors and set up a service that we call church doesn't mean that everybody in the room is on board with that. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the great joys 
of these last almost 12 years that I can't remember a Sunday when I've been preaching and I have not looked out and been able to identify at least one face in the crowd that I know is not yet a believer. Preaching to the empty seats, which is another kind of phrase of like, who is not there in the room, but you want to be there. And so being able to know that every Sunday is a Sunday that people that are part of the church are bringing their friends or potentially could be bringing their friends. And even if they aren't, they are thinking, is this a safe place that I can bring this person here? Mm -hmm. And so you want every Sunday to have that same feel consistently. And so people can trust that. The other thought I had about the intelligibleness is that being in the South is a very churched environment. It doesn't mean everyone's a Christian, but you have lost some of the the newness because they're, they're overused words and language. And so mm-hmm. being able to peel back the common to see what it really is. Like I remember early on, mm-hmm. Jeff Heck, our worship leader, was talking about as he was sitting there at the Keys one day at the Divorce Center, he said, do you ever wonder why we sing in church? Isn't that weird? Like, where else do we sing in public? I mean, sporting events and birthday parties, perhaps. But why do we do that? And, you know, right there, you're, you've got the non-Christians in the room going, yeah, why do you do that? Mm-hmm. And the church folks like, I never thought about that. Why do mm-hmm. we do that? You know, so it's it was that kind of thing that we were trying to almost give glossary of terms and, and create yeah. an environment where, hey, we don't expect you to know everything here. So mm. I, I think it's a... It's a long-term instinct that that we've cultivated that there's a lot more value in simply stating stating obvious things than most people mm-hmm. realize. Right. Mm-hmm. Just naming mm-hmm. things that everybody senses, it it's it's remarkable how much it can take the temperature down, mm-hmm. how much it can close the gaps between mm-hmm. people, like the fact that singing songs is awkward or what do you do if this whole drill is entirely new to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's okay if you sit down while other people are standing, or it's mm-hmm. okay if you move around the room. And if, and if church is all about these rigorous, uh, you know, you you must do this at this time. Everybody must be conformed. Mm-hmm. Then that just excludes people all the more. Mm-hmm. And you know, to come back to the preaching to the empty seats idea, really briefly. That's a, an idea from Tim Keller, this pastor in New York City that's been very influential on us as well. Also a, a former professor at Westminster Seminary. Also influenced by Jack Miller. <laughs> also influenced by Jack Miller. Wow. And uh, yeah, lots of lots of connections. And and his idea was even if you look at the room and you, you know that every single person is mm-hmm. a committed believer in Christ, if you talk to the people, you talk to those empty seats eventually they're going to say, oh, you know what? Uh, I, I should bring my friend that's been asking these same questions. Mm-hmm. And every time we, we bring up this idea, I think of some ways that we do this pretty well and other ways that we, that we don't or that we, mm-hmm. it's, it's such a discipline mm-hmm. because the, the gravitational force is you look around and you're like, we all know what we're talking about, right? Let's just use the shorthand. Well, and I think it is, we, it's something we're aspiring to We try to embody it some, but it is a beautiful goal to live into that. Mm -hmm. And I think for the amount of people that own it with us, it's not just a Walter Nand thing that the church is like, yes, I like this. Because I think to your point, like if people feel seen, they also or when Walter names the obvious from the pulpit, that helps people go, oh, me too. Or he's reading my mail or whatever. Then that increases that sense of belonging which then right. makes you, f- then that feeds into community because you're right. like, Oh, I can be myself here. I can put my feet up on that table and get a sense of like being at home right. um, because mm-hmm. it really is modeling and expressing, not just modeling, expressing mm-hmm. the heart of the father, which is a welcoming spirit of come yeah. on in. There's always more room for you. Mm-hmm. And we want you to come as you are. Like you'll often say, Jesus loves you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Like there is mm-hmm. that hope and desire of growth and change and transformation, which is messy. Um, back to the messy word, but there's something beautiful about letting your shoulders drop and come in, mm-hmm. in a, not just a casual environment, mm-hmm. environment, but a, at a home level, like you just feel a part of things. I can belong here. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of talk in the cultural soup right now about safety, you know, safe mm-hmm. spaces for mm-hmm. on college campuses and things like mm-hmm. that. But I think the concept of safety is really important. I've 
I just uh, read a business book recommended Mm -hmm. by one of the members of our congregation called The Culture Code. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that this, this author, Daniel Coyle, argued was that healthy groups require Mm -hmm. safety, safety to be yourself, safety to, to make mistakes, safety Mm -hmm. to know that your voice is going to be listened to and valued and that there are all kinds of little cues that you can give to people to help Mm -hmm. remind them or, or help them for the first time feel like, Hey, you're, you're safe here. Mm -hmm. You can be you here. You know, just an example that comes to my mind from a couple of weeks ago, one of our young members invited uh, the cashier from one of the local grocery stores that Mm -hmm. uh, she's sort of a fixture. And so uh, she said when she got to the the church, she actually sat in the parking lot Mm -hmm. for I don't know how many minutes, but she was afraid. She called the friend and said, I'm out in the parking lot, but I'm afraid to come in. And so she walked out. Our member walked out and got her from her car and walked her in. Mm -hmm. And then there were all these people that she recognized and who recognized her from going to the grocery store. And every one of those little cues of like, mm-hmm. I see you, I recognize you, you're part of my life. Mm-hmm. Just like you said earlier, like just dropping the shoulders. Okay, I can be me here. That's, mm-hmm. that's our desire. Hi there. This is Corey Fleeman again, your podcast master of ceremonies. Just wanted to interrupt our episode with an obligatory commercial break. If you are interested at all at Atlanta Westside Presbyterian Church, feel free to either download our app available on most app stores or head to atlantawestside.org, atlantawestside.org to learn more about our church. That's it. All right. Now let's head back to our conversation with Julia, Walter, and Ann. What are some of your favorite stories that highlight what you love about the feel of West Side. I was thinking of a lot of our stories that helped shape who we were came from when we were worshiping in the divorce center because it itself was back to the word about Philadelphia scruffy and dirty and maybe even smelly at times and sticky. <laughs> kind of a maze. A little bit this, of a maze. Art center, special yeah. event space that we, we rented for nine and a half years. Yeah. The, to, to fast forward to where we are now, I was talking to Jim Irwin, who helped construct where we are now, and I said, yes, I'm so glad that in our space, it's still kind of grungy. And he said, mm, let's change that word. Before center was grungy, we are gritty. So I was <laughs> like, grunge and, you know, entails a little bit of dirt and right. grime. So anyway, so we don't want to lose the grit, but maybe the grunge is okay to let go. But um, I think... One of my favorites was when Larry and Ella McCord wanted to, he, Larry wanted to propose to Ella. And so he asked Walter, we used to have a kind of a member moment at the end of the worship service where Walter would acknowledge one of the body parts, as he called it, one of the members of the body. And so he asked Larry to come up and Larry then asked his girlfriend, Ella, at the time, and he just got down on one knee and just proposed to her in the middle of the service before the benediction. And just moments like that that were spontaneous and unscripted. I mean, I guess that one was a little scripted, but just was so joyful. You looked around and there's a huge smile on everybody's face, just like yours right now, Julia. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just fun. It's like, we're family here. We're not just a bunch of people that are sitting in a space together and then leaving. There was something really dear about that and that they felt at home in our body to do that. And they were, they were married at DeForce Center. And then a year or so after that, there was a couple that was coming to the church that had moved down from Detroit and they were, uh, they didn't have any family or friends here and they'd been together for a while, but they were not married. They realized they needed to get married. And so they thought, well, we could do a wedding, but but who would we invite? And we're like, well, Sunday morning, we've got a whole you know wedding party. So why don't we just shorten the service and we'll turn the second half of the service into a wedding? And uh, and so the the groom stood at the uh, at the foot of the stairs in front of the stage and uh, and sang this sort of kind of sultry R and B song <laughs> as the the bride walked down the aisle. And then uh, I remember when the um, when they when I did the like you may kiss the bride part, um, they had such a long and involved kiss that um, two things happened. One, uh, one of the mothers of young children that was sitting on the front row covered her child's eyes, <laughs> and, uh, and then when the the bride and groom finally came up for air, the bride sort of wiped her lips off with her her forearm. <laughs> and, 
Uh, and it Something was, you don't see on a normal right. Sunday at yeah. church. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that might have been the one. Somebody that was visiting our church actually wrote a blog about it because it was <laughs> such a, a memorable day. But, you know, and, and there's a, there are a lot of sweet moments from those early days when it was when it was small and, and less organized. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the young kids, the last song or the last few songs in church would often sort of congregate at the front of the service and create effectively a mosh pit of mm-hmm. Just dancing and twirling, dancing and, and twirling, and yeah. <laughs> and we and we still see that with with some kids now, but just in a less concentrated form. I think one or maybe more than one escaped and helped you do the benediction at the end because they would just crawl up the stairs. And oh, yes, fire. yeah, kids, kids crawling on the stage in the middle of church. Uh, that's that's definitely. But if you think one. about it, if church is like a family and yeah. then you're sitting there in your living room, say the kids are going to be crawling all over. Now, mm-hmm. granted, we don't want them to be crawling on our stage. It's a little dangerous mm-hmm. and all that, right, but right. it just thinks like a lot of times in church, you'll say kids make noise. And of course they do. And yeah. they're part of our family. And if what family reunion has not had a bunch of kids and other kind of chaotic moments in the midst yeah. of it too. So there was the, the Sunday that we had a gas leak that mm-hmm. we discovered at like, 8.30 on a Sunday morning, and by 10.30, we had relocated all of church to Monday Night Brewing mm-hmm. and were able to, to pull off more or less the service that we had planned a, a mile away, and th- there was there was a lot of energy from that experience mm-hmm. by itself. Everyone walked in with a huge smile on their face, yeah. like, what is that? happening? Yeah, were you there? <laughs> yeah. And then another day when the, the, the power went out and it was super hot and sweaty and we, we had enough candles and enough windows open. There weren't many windows in that. There weren't any windows in the room where we met, mm-hmm. but we were able to, I think one to of, keep singing. Well, I think that one of the doors yeah. was opened and because it was a parking lot right out there that the yeah. sun happened to just bounce off of a, a windshield. And yeah. I think it created a spotlight where Walter was. It was like, yeah. really? And I think Jeff had planned mm-hmm. beforehand to sing. Our last song mm-hmm. was Pushing Back the Dark with Life. With yeah, everybody yeah. just laughing <laughs> about that. Yeah, it was so hot and so sweaty, but so mm-hmm. so sweet. And, you know, to, just to, to balance it out and not just mm-hmm. to be totally nostalgic. I I mean, in the early days, we we uh, we always had volunteer musicians, volunteer, volunteer everything. Mm-hmm. And it was so common for batteries to die mm-hmm. and microphones and things that just... There wasn't wine. We forgot. Yeah, bread. there was no bread for communion or, or wine or juice. We had that happened often. Mm-hmm. I know we served communion in solo cups at mm-hmm. least once or twice. Somebody offered to use animal crackers for communion, and I think we sent somebody to Kroger instead. It just seemed a little too, <laughs> a little too far. But I remember one Sunday in particular, uh, I was preaching on Psalm 131, which is this short psalm and that includes these lines like. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. And it was everything went wrong that day. And I, I can't even remember all of it, but it was in the middle of my sermon, multiple things would went wrong. And I just remember feeling like I, my own soul was the exact opposite of what I was preaching on. Mm-hmm. And, and, and somebody came up to me after the service that day and was, was really encouraged because I think part of that freedom to be to be messy or to make mistakes. It's, it's such a contrast to so much mm-hmm. that characterizes Atlanta in general mm-hmm. and Buckhead in particular that people often felt refreshed mm-hmm. by it. And uh, celebrated it in a way. And celebrated it even. And and yet uh, there have definitely been times where the pendulum has swung too far and we've mm-hmm. gone from that grit to grunge mm-hmm. and we've gone from, mm-hmm. you know, sort of uh, authenticity to hey, we should have actually done some more planning and work on this <laughs> or we're, we're, you know, or something from, from like uh, in a way that's endearing mm-hmm. making mistakes to making mistakes in a way that's just annoying and distracting. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's what you said that day. You said it's one thing to be able to drop the shoulders is the other to be a distraction for somebody that yeah. was really trying to connect with God and they couldn't mm-hmm. um, because yeah. of all these mistakes. It was just too much noise and, and static in our, not literal, but (laughs) mentally. Right. Yeah. I just, one last thing I'm thinking about, about this is, is I remember hearing an interview with a a person who had written a book about family cultures and 
she was saying that there was a study done a few years ago where where children were actually invited to to rate their parents in terms of memory creation like how well do your parents do at creating these you know memorable times in your childhood and one of the common themes of this study was that the most memorable things that kids experienced growing up were most of the time not the planned trips. Mm-hmm. They were not the mm-hmm. fun things, mm-hmm. the the European vacation or Disney World or whatever. It, it was usually like the things that went wrong and how did the family handle them? And, and mm-hmm. that, that's what made a big impression on them. So given that things always will go wrong mm-hmm. in a broken world, uh, we want to be the kind of place that mm-hmm. handles them honestly in a way that that maybe knits together some new new relationships. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, I was thinking of another memory that ties in a mm. broader aspect of part of the culture we want to create here, and not just culture, it's part of the heart, heart of the gospel is just racial reconciliation mm. as well as socioeconomic diversity. Um, and there were two members that were like opposites, if you will, in our church. And, you know, we, one of the, I guess, taglines of our church is from Bankhead to Buckhead. And I think these two people represented that. And to watch them one day, they were stacking chairs or taking out the trash. And we, we said, you know, they, one would give the other the shirt off his back. It would just be a very different type of shirt. (laughs) Um, But it was like, man, these, these two different things culturally coming together at one space as brothers Mm -hmm. in Christ was so beautiful and so representative of the heart of God and the gospel and where we're going in the new heavens and the new earth. We were like, we want more of this. Um, and I think that's been both hopeful and disheartening at times. It's so Mm. such a high goal and high calling that it's not something we can just make happen. Mm. Um, but we long for that. And I remember talking to a member who who now has moved away, but she said she was reading in her studies for her own career about global health. And at the intro of this one book talked about two different cultures coming together, the physicians and this Chinese culture and an American culture. And Mm. one was not able to speak English. And so she was sitting there as watching these two parts coming together and the the doctors were trying to communicate. They were trying to help heal this child of theirs, but they were misinterpreting everything. Mm. And she said, I wish that they could have heard each other and each other's quote language, not just literal language, but to, for the family with the child to see the heart of the physician really wanting to help. And the way that this author described it was how they were looking past each other instead of with each other and to each other. And she said, all the action happens on the border of two different things. So shorelines, waterfront, I mean, uh, weather fronts. And she said, if you, the more homogenous you are in the center of things, but on the seam is where the action is. Mm. And I was in this friend said, this reminds me of West side. And I have always thought about that in the sense of this is a hard tension to hold together, but it's beautiful. And I think it's how God has called us in particular as a church to live, not in the center of things, but on this seam and on the edge. And talking a lot about what the culture and vibe is like at West side, what is a way that you would hope someone would not describe it or characterize Mm. it? I was thinking of a quote that you did not like when somebody would mention it before. Yeah, there was a guy that was on staff at DeFore Center that I got to know during the week. And he would sometimes come in and clean up on Sundays from other events. And I remember he'd been in and out of jail a few times. And he just said, I notice your church has a lot of pretty successful people. You know, it really used to bug me for a long time that people would maybe look at the sort of outward demographics or the outward appearance of people, what they drive and what kind of clothes they wear and think, oh, well, that's who this church is for, that it's just for people who, who look like this. And I, I, think, uh, I, I think as long as there is a, as a majority of people that do uh, fit a single profile, that's always going to be a danger. And so mm-hmm. it's in some ways it, it creates a hurdle that we have to to get over just to even 
get this sort of cultural influence in people's neighborhood or get, get them to, to sort of to see it because that, that initial hurdle, if you don't look like the majority mm -hmm. can be, mm -hmm. can be very discouraging. Like the woman that was waiting out in her car and was afraid mm -hmm. to come in. Mm -hmm. So I, I wouldn't want pretty and successful to be how people would define us after they've been with us a little bit, <laughs> even if that's what we might look like on the outside. I think incomprehensible would be, uh, or lofty in a way. Yeah. Unattainable. Yeah. Lofty, uh, you know, Presbyterians are sometimes called the frozen chosen and, uh, we resemble that more than we want to, but boy, I'd, I'd hate for people to see us as, as emotionally frozen because mm -hmm. God made us emotional creatures. And that's gotta be part of this honesty is, is allowing ourselves to experience and express emotions with each other. So if we were all locked down, I think that's, that's just one more hurdle to getting to the, the mm -hmm. sort of the aroma of the gospel. Mm -hmm. It's like cold, you yeah, know, cold. Um, and distant mm. or, you know, I think one of the challenges that we have right now with our growth is trying to figure out how to grow and systematize things without becoming overly corporate or, but, but still have a professionalism but also still, um, I was talking to some other staff today, ha we have and always have had this like startup entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and how do we have this startup culture as a bigger church? You know, and I think mm -hmm. um, it's not just something that's cool or trendy or something, but it's more, I think, again, back to the heart of the gospel where there's that to me connotes like freedom and creativity and it's okay to try something and fail. Like we have one of our daughters bakes and as she was growing in her business, she would experiment all the time. She goes, well, that was a fail and just move on to the next thing. And I thought, gosh, I want, I want Christians to have that spirit mm -hmm. and be able to be like, man, I tried this and I'm not very good at that. Can mm -hmm. I try something else now? And just yeah. give that, that freedom to explore and be creative. And so I think anything that's like, come on, we've got to perform for this. Like, I think that plays to Atlanta's weakness of image and productivity, et cetera, but to be able to have this like freedom to brainstorm or dream or create, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't want us to ever lose that. And I, I think something that is, is a prayer of mine and is precious to me to think of is like, you know, if you look at a small child or your own photo of yourself when you were a little kid, but you see yourself now, you're like, Oh, I see myself back then. And I, I want whoever we are and becoming to be the same us. But yeah. we, we've matured. We have different cheekbones, perhaps, or hairlines, but we are the same person. And mm -hmm. I don't want us to morph or have plastic surgery to become somebody we're not, but just for us to morph, to, to flesh out who we've been all along. And speaking of change, mm. how has the church changed over the years? Mm. Have there been ways that the church has changed you didn't expect? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to ask you that question, too, since <laughs> you've been here. <laughs> what have you seen? <laughs> Why don't we take a stab at it and then yeah. actually hear what mm -hmm. Julie has to say, too. Well, it's gotten a lot bigger than we thought. We, uh, you know, initially we thought 150, 200 people would be a great max. And, you know, some Sundays since we moved into the building, we've had more than 600 people. And so that's not what we <laughs> expected. Mm -hmm. And that that creates a lot of different dynamics. There were. You know, there were many years where anybody who was a visitor in the church, like you'd spot them because there just weren't that many. And so now there are people that I meet and they'll say, I've been coming to this church for six months. And I just think, I don't know if I've ever seen you. And that's mm -hmm. so that's size has definitely uh, mm -hmm. been one of the more significant things. I think we've mm -hmm. I think we've grown We've we've repented of a lot of things over the years. Mm -hmm. I certainly have. Mm -hmm. um, I repented of some of my snobbery against Buckhead as mm -hmm. thinking of, well, Buckhead is, is wealth and influence and polish and, and sort of idealizing scruffy, gritty West side as sort of more real, which is not scruffy and gritty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and West side, exactly what the, the West side itself in, in a dozen years has been transformed really mm -hmm. dramatically. I, I remember that, you know, the West egg, which has, some ways been this breakfast joint that's been kind of like the church fellowship hall any given weekday morning 
it used to be an old gas station that you parked behind it and you wondered if your car would be there when you got back and a few years ago, I remember pulling into the parking deck that they had built next to it, next to a like $280,000 Ferrari mm-hmm. and thinking, okay, the neighborhood is, is definitely changed now. So yeah, size, uh, you know, complexity, complexity and well, and even just the age of kids, you know, the number of, mm-hmm. you know, we just had a handful of young kids and we started, but mm-hmm. we've got kids that we've got boys in the church that are old enough to get sweaty and have BO that <laughs> I held in my arms and baptized when they were infants. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And and that's not just the changes that have happened in those children, but in the families. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have a lot more mm-hmm. older people, people over the age of 50 that, and we still want more. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that there is a group in the church now, whereas before mm-hmm. it was just Chuck and Joel, <laughs> <laughs> and people's parents on parents' right. meetings. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So, yeah, the composition of the church has changed. I think the posture, rather than sort of uh, oh, here, we're the cool mm-hmm. kids doing this this new different mm-hmm. thing. We've learned to recognize that there's there, there's wisdom in the things that a lot of other churches have done over the years that we were resisting for many years. So humility, humility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and I was thinking about um, people that have been with us, not just the children, they've aged also. And yeah. so we're all different. We, we are, who makes up Westside are in different seasons of our lives as well. We just entered empty nest ourselves. And right. so we're all kind of adjusting to those new seasons. Um, mm-hmm. I used to think about our church as the age of those children. And mm-hmm. so I guess you're saying that Westside has puberty and BO now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where we are. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. How about you, Julia? Any, anything you notice in the yeah. five years you all have been here? I think, you know, at first, um, my first thought is it's gotten bigger. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it also feels like it's gotten smaller, which is what we'd hoped for mm-hmm. in a church. And what I mean by that is, you know, we live five minutes, eight minutes from the church. And, mm-hmm. and our hope was we could find a community that we loved and also a community church mm-hmm. within that mm-hmm. area that we loved as well. And so while we see more people at church, we also have deeper relationships at the same time. So you can go to the grocery store Mm -hmm. and and see someone you see at church and you can go out to eat and you run into several church members. So one of the things we love about this church is that, you know, the most of the people we see here also live within a five minute Mm -hmm. radius. Mm -hmm. And that's really, that's really been a lot of fun and and really appealing to do life Mm -hmm. together, not just at church, but Mm -hmm. you know, not just have relationships Mm -hmm. at church, but do life outside of church throughout the week together. And, you know, interestingly, since you mentioned that, I think we don't talk as much up front about our parish model, our f- focus on the West side as we did in the early days, the, the, the original launch team and core group was all sort of required to move into what we define as our parish. But it's one of the things I've seen is a, we do get people visiting from farther away now. Uh, so I don't know what the percentages are, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's as much, many as half of the mm-hmm. people, including visitors that show up on Sunday morning, are not living on the west side. But one of the things I've also seen, maybe this is what speaks to your experience, is that the people who have committed to this area, their roots have just gone deeper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've, they've started businesses and they've gotten deeply involved in mm-hmm. schools and children have overlapped in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. And so I just I see a lot deeper roots. And in, in those first couple of years, we were all relatively new mm-hmm. to the area. And it, there was there was a sort of a novelty of seeing everybody at the grocery store. But uh, mm-hmm. now that's that's just icing, really. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there a book that we read to Making Room for Life early on that mm-hmm. spoke to that same thing about having a certain mile radius that was influential in how we thought through the parish as well? Mm-hmm. Like when you live near people, uh, not just at the grocery store, but on the street, uh, like you, you can't hide as much mm-hmm. when you have conflict with people. Mm-hmm. You got to work through it because you can't just go down the next aisle. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're going to see each other at the checkout now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and thinking of, um, what was the Bob Lupton quote as well? Yeah, Bob Lupton is this uh, Christian community development uh, guru, pioneer in Atlanta, especially on the east side of town. And 
when I first moved to Atlanta, he made this offhand comment that the best Christians often make the worst neighbors because they're, mm. they're leaving their community to go and serve at the church or participate in activities at the church that's rarely in the community. And so that idea that, that being an active member at Westside, that, that a big part of the definition would be to be a good neighbor mm -hmm. to whoever mm -hmm. happens to be right around you physically. Mm -hmm. um, that's, I hope that's still, mm -hmm. I know that's still a really important, important part of the culture for those who, who live on the West side mm -hmm. for sure. Well, since, since there are more people coming to this church now, what are some specific ways mm -hmm. that staff and leadership here can still shape the culture of the church? One thing that we've done all along that we're, we're still committed to doing on, on that's on Sunday morning is, is hearing from a variety of voices in the church and having a lot of lay people participate. So having uh, lay men and lay women uh, read scripture, lead in congregational prayer, serve one another uh, the Lord's Supper, which we do every week. You know, early on, it was a uh, it was a very church planty kind of thing to do to just sort of be like, this is all hands on deck. We're, mm -hmm. but, but it really has become a treasured part of our culture that, that the way the service uh, is put together on Sunday morning is not just the, the official ministry people like me or Anne, the, the staff mm -hmm. and pastors doing the work of ministry, mm -hmm. but that you get the sense that this is being shaped by everybody. Mm -hmm. And then the, the bigger the church has gotten, the more we've had to also kind of train and instruct anybody who stands up front mm -hmm. to, you know, to, to speak to the empty seats, to avoid Christianese, to mm -hmm. avoid us, them language, um, mm -hmm. to not pray in such a way that assumes that, that non-believers are always people outside the walls instead of actually assuming that they're inside the walls. Or that there's certain struggles that are off the table. Mm -hmm. Like, right. oh, those people that struggle with X, Y, and Z, well, they're in the room right, right. here. You know, and, and another thing, we've, we've, we've gotten a lot more organized with, you know, teams that uh, make coffee and, and help people park and welcome and usher and things like that. It's just as a necessity of, of being a larger church. And we're, we're providing more training for those volunteers so that they can take really seriously that it's, it's, it's not just doing a job, but mm -hmm. it's, it's an act of service and an act of ministry. Mm -hmm. And just the, mm -hmm. the simple ways that you interact with people can, can communicate that aroma of the gospel or just sort of a professionalism that says, I'm doing a job to provide you this service. Mm -hmm. What was it that early on we listened to the lecture about the guy who was maybe a Muslim that was talking to another person at the coffee table. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a it was sort of a fellowship lunch where, where, uh, one person said, um, instead of saying like, how long have you been a Christian said sort of, where are you in relation to Christianity? And, uh, and the person said, well, I'm, I'm still investigating it. And, uh, but I'm worried that my, my parents are going to disown me. And because it came from another country and another religion. And the person who had asked the question said, well, I am a Christian and I, and when I became a Christian, my parents did disown me. And just that little act of honesty of, of just asking the open question mm -hmm. led to a really profound mm -hmm. interaction mm -hmm. that, that opened up so much so that, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, uh, in our counseling classes in seminary, one of our professors, Paul Tripp used to say over and over again, don't assume, ask, don't assume, mm -hmm. ask. Mm -hmm. And, and that posture of curiosity toward mm -hmm. people right. is so vital. Mm -hmm. And, and so volunteers and people that are in upfront roles really need to learn that. Mm -hmm. but, everybody. but, but everybody does, mm -hmm. you know, the person, mm -hmm. the, the, the person that you, you bump into as you're going into the bathroom at the same time, mm -hmm. or as you're waiting to, mm -hmm. to leave your kids in the nursery or, mm -hmm. or whatever, like all of those little interactions can either mm -hmm. contribute to that feeling of it's, I, I'm safe to be me here, mm -hmm. or I need to lock mm -hmm. it down. Mm -hmm. Well, and that makes me think of another culture setting time was when we were being assessed to be church planners, and we were all given a case study and some time to work on it as a group. And one of the first things we did that one of the leaders in that group helped us do was to do something that we've incorporated into their church called the handshake vows. Mm. And before we even did this one project that was, you know, just like a group project, it was kind of a, not a throwaway project, but you know, we're not implementing this project, but we actually spent time um, doing these, this handshake vow, which I'll say in a second. 
And when we presented at the end of that day of the workshop, the assessors gave us the feedback. They're like, what's different about your group than all these other groups? They said, what did you do differently? Because you all really bonded. Mm -hmm. And that's all we did differently, I think. And so when we started to our our church, we decided as a core group, we were going to do that same thing. At the time, the handshake vows um, that we each said, we spent a whole night doing it. Everybody to everybody said, um, I won't I'll always assume the best about your motive. I won't talk about you behind your back. And if I ever have a problem, I'll come and talk to you directly. So we had those as core values at the very beginning. And it basically set this tone of we are going to be peacemakers. Mm -hmm. We're going to help you learn how to resolve conflicts biblically and in a way that assumes, does not assume that you know how to do this already. Because a lot of us come from homes and settings that we've never been taught that. And so when people say, I'm conflict avoidant, I usually say, well, who isn't? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, and if I've not been trained how to do this, I don't know. And I'm, there's a lot of fear in that. So I think we have an opportunity as a church to reparent people spiritually and say, well, this is the new family of God and we're going to learn how to do this. And Mm -hmm. so they have from the beginning been part of our membership vows. And we, in recent years change them to well you know it strikes me that I'm really glad you brought this up because I do think this culture of peacemaking is an important part of our culture and it strikes me that we ought to do an entirely (laughs) separate podcast on it because there's so much more to say there but even just to this will be a teaser then that we we (laughs) changed our handshake vows we modified them each for very important reasons mm. as we've, we've learned more about what it actually looks mm-hmm. like to work through conflict in community. Right. Well, thank you both for sharing about our church culture and challenging us to continue to think about um, who we are and who we want to be and, and to continue to be real. It's been um, enlightening and, and encouraging to me. And I'll look forward to hearing more about the, uh, the new handshake vows in the next episode or when to come. <laughs> hey, this is your MC, Corey, again. I hope you enjoyed the show. Coming up in our next episode, Atlanta Westside Senior Pastor Walter Hineker sits down to talk with, and I'm not making this up, an expert on Presbyterianism, Jim Wirt. So if you've ever wondered what it means to be a Presbyterian, tune in. And if you liked what you heard in this first episode, help us spread the word about the very good podcast Beyond Atlanta. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or share an episode with a friend. Until next time.